everybody. Andy Hamilton of Track Wrestling coming to you from the National Wrestling Hall of Fame Dan Gable Museum in Waterloo, Iowa. I'm joined again this week by our savvy ranksmith, David Mirkatani, for another edition of the Track Wrestling Rankings brought to you by FantasyGrade.com and the Ultimate Fantasy Wrestling Challenge. Do you know more about wrestling than your friends and people around the country? Prove it. Go to www.fantasygrade.com and enter the live event, online event, or both. Welcome back, David. How's everything down in St. Louis? It's good. It's probably not as good as uh, New England celebrating the Super Bowl, but uh, it's beautiful here today, like 67 degrees, and great day to talk about wrestling. Well, let's rewind first to last week's big duel. Penn State handled Ohio State 32-12 to in Columbus in front of the largest crowd to ever watch an Ohio State home duel, 15,000-plus at Value City Arena. They got a look at a team that's on fire right now. Penn State uh, wins seven of those matches, bonus points in five, really looked impressive. David, what were the main takeaways for you from Penn State's performance Friday night? I think a couple things. First of all, there was really only one, I guess you'd call it upset, and I didn't even know if it was, and that was the Goulibon Fletcher match. But everything really went according to the rankings. Um, obviously, Bo Jordan not wrestling, you know, would have an impact or had an impact on who would have been ranked higher at 74. But Penn State does such a good job at scoring at the end of periods. Um, you know, I was reading the most dominant wrestler standings and they have the number one, two, three, and eight guys. And that makes a huge difference. You know, we've talked about it all year about bonus points at nationals and I, I don't know the exact order, but I think it's it's Zane, Nolf, Nickel, and then eight is Mark Hall. It it feels like they're pulling away from the field. Um and it seems like those kids are having a lot of fun and they're really loose. Um so they're just impressive. The nickel match with Miles Martin, he scored at the end of each period, was impressive. And you, know, you and I were talking off air, the Zane Rutherford match, it didn't feel like it was a tech. It, it just, you know, I think with back points being quicker and four counts and, and them looking for them faster, he did dominate, but it just didn't feel like it was going to be that way till the very end. So, uh, but they're super impressive, that's for sure. Yeah, I can't remember the last time a guy got taken down twice and won by tech fall. It may have been, and my memory is a little fuzzy on this. I don't know if Bubba Jenkins um, scored two techs or two takedowns against Brett Metcalf in that uh, um, dual meet in Iowa City back in probably 2008 or 2009, somewhere in there. Metcalf won by tech fall, and it really he got steamrolling late in that match, but. Uh, to see a good guy score two takedowns, a top five guy like Michael Jordan to score two takedowns against Zane Rutherford and still get tech falled. I mean, that's, you know, <laughs> rare, rare stuff. Um, it's eye-opening. But indeed, yeah, yeah indeed, a, a really impressive performance by Penn State. As you mentioned, they're starting to stretch it out. No changes in the top ten in the team rankings. Um but uh, Penn State builds that lead up to 19 and a half points. Now, a couple weeks ago, Penn State moved in front for the first time this season. It was right after Mark Hall came out of red shirt. Penn State had like maybe a couple point lead or one and a half somewhere in there. Last week, that grew to about 10 points. This week, it's 19 and a half. 
right now we're seeing the most competitive race um, for for second right now. Um, Oklahoma State, based on advancement and placement points in our rankings, is at 89 points, followed by Ohio State at 87. Iowa is fourth at 79, followed by Virginia Tech at 67 and a half, Nebraska at 60, Missouri at 57, Lehigh at 40, Cornell at 39. Minnesota rounds out the top 10 at 37 and a half. Moving on to the individual front, just breaking this thing down weight by weight, um, 125 pounds, no changes in the top eight, but the match that everybody in college wrestling is talking about, uh, Thomas Gilman, top ranked, falls behind 8 nothing, comes back to pin Ethan Lezak in the third period. Um, man, that's, that's one that people are going to be talking about for a long time, David. Uh, what were your thoughts as that one unfolded? Well, I watched it, you know, watched it live on Big Ten Network, and I, you know, I couldn't really believe it while I was watching it. You know, um, a couple things. It felt like Lezak just hit the wall, fell off a cliff. It also felt like even if Gilman hadn't hit that cow catcher, that he would just take him down three more times and, you know, either win by one or tie it up and win in, in overtime. Um, the Lezak is going to be a really, really tough out at Nationals. I think he's a guy that's starting the match winning one to nothing because I don't think you can pick down on him. And it makes you more uh, cautious on your feet because if he gets a go behind or he gets a reattack, you're going to be under there for a long time. Uh, the other scary thing is, and, you know, people that have coached know this, you want your guys to go struggle and, and come through adversity. If it was possible for Thomas Gilman to have more confidence, I think this weekend did it. And I think that's scary for anybody who's got to wrestle him. For sure. And, uh, you know, the one thing to me is, is as you mentioned, the Lezak falling off a cliff, whatever you want to put it, it just felt like it was one of those deals where the wheels came off and they're bouncing past you down the highway before you knew that they were off. I mean, I, 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 there were no signs to me that, that he was about to hit the wall, but, when Gilman got that reversal at the end of the second period and then right away in on his legs to start the third and right back in on him. And then when Lezak took the shot and Gilman just ran around behind them, it felt like, like the dam dam had broken at that point. I I'm with you. I think that uh, if Gilman hadn't pinned him. It was, uh, you know, we were looking at him maybe scoring um, seven, eight takedowns in the third period alone. Gotta stop the bleeding. Stopped the bleeding, and I knew once I got away, um, I was going to be all right. Um, actually, I was listening to a podcast the other day, and it was kind of military-oriented, and the first thing it talked about was uh, uh, when you're in a firefight and casualties are occurring, casualties don't matter. The only thing that matters is where the fire is coming from. And so I wasn't worried about the casualties, which were points, and I was just worried about where the fire was coming from, and that was him you know, pulling me back, sucking me out, getting those points. So I just had to, you know get my wits and get out and I knew once I got back on my feet he wasn't going to take me out again I could you know wear him out and then uh, you know look for that that quick fall David I think one of the things that that uh, stood out to me from that match is, is we just don't see guys maybe get tired quite as easily as they used to in the past um, uh-huh. you know whether that's because of the weight uh, rules being different than they were 20 years ago that that might have a large part of it um 
you know, maybe guys are just in better shape than they they were back then, whatever whatever the case. Um, But this was still an illustration, uh, and and you see it in Nolf matches, you see it in in Rutherford matches. Um, You know, Kyle Snyder gets guys really tired. Uh, Pretty interesting to me that that guys will still – you can take guys to that cliff and, and push them over that cliff if, if the pace is high. Yeah, but usually it happens in the opposite way, right? Like, it's kind of hard to get a guy tired by letting him ride you. Like, that was the weird thing about it. Like, yeah, um, you know, I mean, I, I rode legs, and if you're a good leg rider, you can generally rest. Um, you know, you, you can crank and then just use your hips and just, you know, you can take a blow up there. I think Lezak worked really hard. It kind of felt like what you said, and certainly what Gilman said, he got that escape at the end of the second period, a reversal, excuse me, but he got out. You knew, obviously, he was going to pick neutral. Um, but, you know, the old days, like, you could drop down to an ankle, you could adjust your headgear, you could retie your shoes, you could take an injury time. I mean, I almost think Lezak should have just taken his injury time because, Gilman was going to pick neutral anyway. It wouldn't have made any difference. Um, it'll be interesting to see the adjustments when those guys wrestle again, if they do at the big tens, because, you know, Lezak got an offensive takedown. That's kind of what gets lost in all this. I mean, he had a shot and took him down. So Gilman's got to be aware of that. Lezak's got to manage his cardio better. And, and Gilman probably, if it's his choice in the second period, he needs to not defer. He needs to pick neutral and try to get a lead. So even if he does get underneath in the third period, you know, he's got some options, even if it's just kind of balling up to win the match. But uh, it was just a fascinating match. And whether or not you're a Gilman fan or not, you have to respect the heart that kid had to come back and not just win the match, but to put it away. You can tell by guys' reactions if they're surprised or not, and you could tell he genuinely was a little bit surprised that he came back and, and pinned him like that after being dominated for, what, four minutes and 40 seconds or so. Yeah, he got ridden for 353 in there before that reversal. Um, and you're talking at that point in the match, that's um, three minutes and 53 seconds of uh, about four and a half minutes to that point. Right. So. Um, also at 125, um, you know, not not a ton of mention, a ton of movement as I mentioned at, at the beginning of the segment, but uh, uh, Michigan's Connor Utsi dropped a pair of decisions to Central Michigan's Brent Fleetwood and the Michigan State's Mitch Rogeliner. The two-time All-American for the Wolverines falls from nine to 20. Moving on to 133, no movement in the top nine here either. We put our rankings to bed last week before the Monday night duel between Stanford and Oregon State. And we mentioned that there would, on last week's show, there would be some movement here as a result of that. Joey Palmer beat Stanford's Connor Schramm in that one. As a result, Schramm falls from 10 to 13. At 141, the big one here took place Saturday when Virginia's George DiCamillo pinned North Carolina's Joey Ward. So those two trade places with DiCamillo going up to number six. At 149, the top 11 all remain the same, although some notable things happened here. South Dakota State's Alex Kocher beat Oklahoma's Davion Jeffries, who turned around a couple days later and beat Northern Iowa's Max Thompson. Um, David, you opted to leave Thompson where he's at. This one was a a tough one for you. Um, Yeah. Can you explain why you did what you did at 149? 
Yeah, it, it's rare that you lose and don't move, and it's rare that you beat somebody above you and don't move. But And, you know, I look at everybody else and what they rank guys, and some people made changes and some people didn't. But I just looked at the overall body of work, and to me it felt like Max Thompson's body of work is a little bit better than Lugo's, Gardner's, and Spino's. And those are really the guys that you could sort of argue would have that eight spot. Now unquestionably it was better before the loss. So now his margin of error is a lot less. I mean, if he were to lose again this weekend, um, although I think they're wrestling Levy on May, so that, that probably wouldn't hurt him. But if he lost to somebody ranked below him or something like that, or got, you know, teched or something crazy, then it probably wouldn't have an impact. But it feels like he's really had a quietly, a really good season. He was a guy you were high on from the beginning and you were right about how good he is. So, um, I just think he's earned the benefit of the doubt of at least one more week. You know, we mentioned one of the most interesting bouts of the weekend. Um, Rutherford, as we mentioned, got taken down twice, still teched Micah Jordan 20 to 5. Uh, those guys remain in their same places. Uh, but Shane Sparks of track wrestling had a chance to catch up with Rutherford after that match. Yeah, I think, I mean, even if he doesn't take me down right away, I, th- I think I know he's coming at me. You know, he's a competitor, and I think all of these college guys at this level are c- coming at you. So if you get taken down in that situation, um, you know, I don't really, if I get taken down, I don't really think about it as a negative. Just, I mean, you can either look at it as I need to come back or put your head down, and putting your head down doesn't do you any good. So you got to make the most of that. While we're on the topic of Penn State, Jason Knopf is 16-0 and now with 10 pins, four techs, and a major. He scored another first-period fall Friday night in the dual meet against Ohio State. Jason Knopf talked afterward with Shane Sparks about his uh, kind of cutting-edge approach um, to going out and trying stuff on the mat. Uh, I just kind of do what I want because I feel like I'm just going to win and get the pin. <laughs> So, uh, so I just kind of do whatever I want and have fun with it. Continue. I'm continuously developing. Like as I, I'm getting more mature. Like, obviously, as I grow older. But uh, I've always had a mindset to just go out there. And I think I really when like my soft, right after I lost my sophomore year in high school, I think I started making huge jumps and just focusing on getting better and wrestling the best I can because. When you leave it, when you leave it up to a takedown at the end of the match, it's a lot harder to win. When instead of just going all out and uh, wrestling hard for seven minutes, and uh, it's really hard to keep that pace for other people because I train that way every every match, and other people kind of just wait around and wait for a shot. So like, if I stay focused on getting to his legs and just scoring, uh, it's a lot easier to win the match. If if I was a middle school kid and I wanted to, you know, be as good as you, I, I look at your training. It's such a high pace. What, when you look back on the way you've trained over the years, what is the one aspect that you think has paid the highest dividends that you would give advice to on a young kid? Uh, just wanting it. Uh, a lot of people want to win and stuff, but they're not willing to make the sacrifices. So in high school, I was going to a couple practices a day, and I was just like staying focused on my commitments. Uh, Bo actually quoted a guy named John Gordon. And he said, instead of focusing on your actual goal, you focus on commitments each day. And if you get those commitments done, then that will ultimately work towards your final goal. So uh, just focusing on commitments and uh, staying disciplined with, every, with your training and obviously not going out and partying and everything. I never, I never drank alcohol in my life. I never did anything like that. So I think that it gives me a mental edge against my opponents. And again, just like 
just uh, pumps me up and just gets me motivated. So. Also at 157 pounds, Michigan's Brian Murphy started the year ranked fourth and fell to 18th in January. He's beginning to climb the ladder again. A win against number seven, Colin Heffernan, bumps Murphy up four notches to number 11. We touched on the Max Thompson situation at 149 pounds. He lost, did not move in the rankings. Um, David, it's, it's the same approach you took here. Uh, with Colin Heffernan, uh, you felt like he was a guy that uh, had built up some some goodwill, so to speak. Um, that factored into your decision there as, as well, right? Yes, he's, he's built a lot of equity, and you look at kind of his season, and it feels like it's been the most consistent of him, Ream, Shields, Glass, Murphy, Parson, Short, and those are kind of the guys that are in that mix in, in seven through thirteen. So, but again, just like Thompson, you know, if he has another loss, although again, you know, here in the MAC, if he were to lose to Valley or somebody like that, but if he took a loss to somebody below him, he would, you know, not only drop, it might drop a little further just by compounding the two losses together. At 165 pounds, some wild stuff took place here. Edinburgh's Austin Matthews pinned Oklahoma State's Chandler Rogers. Oklahoma's Joanse Mejias pinned Northern Iowa's Bryce Steyert. Iowa's Joey Gunther took number three, Isaac Jordan of Wisconsin to overtime on Friday night before losing that match. But he comes back on Sunday and beats then number 10, Nick Wanzek of Minnesota. When the dust settled, Matthews moved from 12 to eight. Rogers fell from seven to nine. Steyer dropped from nine to 10. Mejias jumps up from 20 to 15. Dylan Cottrell also benefited and made a four-notch jump from 17 to 13. At 174 pounds, the top 14 all remain the same. Northern Illinois' Trace Engelkiss pops into the rankings at number 19. He had a win a couple weeks ago against Zach Brunson of Illinois and posted another big win over the weekend against Dylan Wisman of Missouri. At 184 pounds, this one was easy. No changes in the top 25 this week. At 197, no changes in the top 14, but Michigan's Jackson Strigo makes a five-notch jump up to number 17 after beating Central Michigan's Austin Severn, who dropped from 16 to 18. Old Dominion's Kevin Beasley has gone through a little bit of a slump here since the Midlands. He was up to number six at one point this season. He drops to number 19 this week. And at heavyweight, no changes in the top nine and minimal movement throughout. But Kyle Snyder mowed down number three, Nick Neville's 19-9 Friday night in that dual meet in Columbus. Big stuff coming up this weekend, David. What are you going to have your eye on on what is to come here over the course of this weekend? Well, there's so many. The dual meets that are interesting to me are – Probably not the outcome of them, but there's some interesting matches, matches excuse me, at Illinois, at Penn State. Um, Ohio State-Nebraska is a really interesting duel. I mean, those are two really balanced teams. Um, Nebraska's probably, you know, got more guys that are ranked in the top, you know, 15, 16. Ohio State's got some studs and some holes, so it'll be interesting to see how they match up. Um, North Carolina State, Virginia Tech will have a huge impact on who represents the ACC. South Dakota State, Virginia Tech. I uh, had a chance to talk to John Reeder today, and um, 
he, you know, he was telling me about their visit out there. They're going to go wrestle West Virginia and Virginia uh, back to back. And then Michigan, Wisconsin, we'll get to see some individual matchups there, which we'll touch on in a minute. Ohio State, Minnesota, Nebraska, Iowa, UNI, Missouri, and then Bedlam round two. And, you know, we've talked about the fact that Oklahoma is so improved. You know, Lou has done an amazing job and, and might just be the coach of the year. But there's some a lot of really, really interesting individual matchups that I'm, I'm looking forward to this weekend. Well, um, yeah, you want to hit on some of those. I mean, we've we've got, uh, you know, just looking at the dual meets on tap, uh, you got Montoya and Tomasello at 133 pounds. You've got uh, a big weekend for Sam Brooks of Iowa uh, with, with a match against Nate Jackson of Indiana and Tim Dudley of Nebraska. Um, Northern Iowa, Missouri has a chance to have some, some really interesting matches in it. Um, you mentioned Mays and Thompson, but also Steyert and, and uh, Daniel Lewis. Uh, you know, a, another match between, um, uh, you know, Michigan and Wisconsin. You got uh, 165, Massa and Jordan. Uh, Imar and um, Vincenzo Joseph also in the, on the card this weekend. Uh, from an individual standpoint, a ton of things to keep your eye on. Are, are there any that we've missed to this point that are going to be really fascinating for you? Yeah, there, you, you hit on a lot of the good ones. I think Zach Brunson, Mark Hall is interesting. Um, as we talked about, Mark Hall has losses to guys below him and wins to you know over guys above him. So that'll be another measuring stick for him. T.J. Dudley gets Miles Martin. That should be a pretty high-scoring match. Colin Moore, Aaron Studebaker should be a really good match. Um, Jacob Smith, Nate Roeder is another really good match. Chisco Sam Spino in that duel uh, between VTech and NC State is a really good one. Um, it's interesting. We've talked for however many minutes, and Bryce Meredith Dean Heil is just now coming up, you know, a national finals rematch. So it was a one-point match. So that's really interesting. Um in the Nebraska Iowa duel, we mentioned a couple of matches, but you got Lambert Gilman, which may not be interesting, but it's two guys in the top six. Eric Montoya, Corey Clark, which I think will be interesting. Colton McChrystal, Topher Carton, two guys ranked pretty evenly. Tyler Berger, Kemmer, we'll see if that match can go 21 minutes like it did the last time. Um, then when you get to, you mentioned UNI versus Mizzou, you also have Taylor Lujan. And Wisman, um, Luke Pletcher looks like he'll wrestle uh, Tommy Thorne, Colin Moore, and uh, and Farr in that duel. And then um, it's kind of a you know an under the radar match, but Mejias against Chandler Rogers. I think probably somebody goes to their back at least once in that match. Um, those two guys are uh, pretty difficult to rank. They have very high ceilings, but you know their losses have been some puzzling at times. So ton of individual matches, which I think will have a big impact on the, uh, on the team score rankings. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up Colin Moore against Brett Farr because uh, that's one that I'm, I'm certainly going to have my eye on. I'm, I'm really intrigued to see Colin Moore to me has been ultra impressive here uh, over mm-hmm. the course of, of the last month. Uh, we talked about him, uh, I think on last week's show and, and just the offense that he brings to the table uh, it was pretty one-sided 
the first time that they went went at it with far winning, I believe by major out in Vegas. Really intrigued to see if if uh, Colin Moore uh, has closed the gap there. I, I can't imagine that it's going to be another major this time around, but. Uh, you know, but we've also seen to this point, I mean, the top two guys have, have uh, you know, seemed to uh, create their own tier there at 197, Jaden Cox and Brett Farr. Uh, on this show a week ago, while we were recording, the big news came out of Ames that Kevin Jackson was stepping down. We talked a little bit about that situation on last week's show, just kind of, uh, I think we're both kind of in shock because it came over. Uh, into my email in, inbox while the uh, while we were recording, you know, given a little bit of time to digest that. Now, David, uh, uh, you know, do you have any thoughts on where Iowa State may go in terms of candidates here in the future with with replacing Kevin Jackson? Yeah, I, I've heard some things. I, I, you know, I don't want to talk about anybody maybe maybe moving jobs specifically because I don't want to put that out there, but. They're, people are smart. You know, the, the names that people think of are probably the people being contacted from what I've heard, and the, you know, my, my contacts. I know you have contacts as well. I do think it could be a domino effect if, if a, a head coach at another school gets the job at Iowa State and or the Pitt job. I think you could see, you know, ripples, waves, trickles, whatever the right analogy you want to make is, but I can see it affecting three, four, five, six schools. Um, you know, there's one guy in particular that I've heard is, is one of the front runners at, uh, Iowa state and he's have a long time assistant that might take the head job where he's at, but it's a really good job, right? I mean, there's only so many schools in the country that have ever won a national title. And even though it's a long time ago, and even though they're clearly the number probably three school right now in the state, it's still a really good job. They recruited a ton of studs, and the kids that were freshmen this year are not as likely to transfer as the kids that are high school seniors this year, so the cupboard will not be bare. So um, as a guy that went to school there and grew up loving Iowa State, my dad did his graduate assistant work there, um, You know, and, and Harold Nichols and, and Les Anderson. Les Anderson was actually my godfather. Um, I, I want to see him be good. You know, you, it's it's that's emotional. It's not rational, but I'd, I'd like to see him be good. So I hope whoever uh, whoever gets that job can continue the success that Kevin had at the national tournament and have better success in the regular season. Yeah, Iowa State is is one of those programs that when they're good, it's good for wrestling. I mean, we've seen the fan base. Uh, you know, I remember back when uh, you know when Kale was there, they were drawing you know, nine, 10,000 for dual meets against Iowa. We've seen uh, that number slip uh, probably cut in half here in recent years. Um, you know, dual meets and aims just aren't drawn what they what they once were, but indeed that's still a good job. Kevin Jackson talked uh, on Monday at a press conference in Ames about, you know, th- there's been some questions about the resources being put in place. And, and Kevin Jackson said, uh, you know, everything is still there for Iowa State to field a winner. I think one of the things that's really interesting is if you follow Iowa State Athletic Director Jamie Pollard's hiring uh, pattern, there really has been no pattern for his major hires. I mean, he's gone out and, and hired guys with, with Iowa State ties, um, like Kevin Jackson, like Cale Sanderson, like Paul Rhodes, the football coach, like Fred Hoiberg. 
uh, the former basketball coach. He's hired guys with head coaching, uh, past head coaching experience, uh, like Steve Prohm, um, the, the bas- current basketball coach, Matt Campbell, the current football coach. He's hired guys with no uh, coaching experience whatsoever, no head coaching experience like Cale Sanderson. Uh, Kevin had never been a Division One head coach. Um, he's hired young guys. He's hired guys with a little more experience. So uh, he's been kind of all over the map. He's hired mid-major coaches. Um, so I think that that's going to be really interesting to see which direction he goes with this and, and uh, who he really zeroes in on. Um, in terms of Pittsburgh, that, that seems to me like, um, you know, if if the support is there from the administration, that that, that could certainly uh, grow into, uh, you know, a, maybe not a national championship contender, um, but uh, certainly a, a team that can be challenging for top 10 uh, spots on, on a regular basis uh, just because of the talent base within a three-hour area there as well. What are your thoughts on uh, potentially uh, what that program could become and, and who might uh, uh, you see that, that could be interested in, in a program like that? You know, when we started recruiting hard at Merrimack, one of the things I, I looked at was at all these schools that to be good at any level, about half your lineup has to come from in-state or, you know, like we're in St. Louis and maybe right across the river in Illinois. And so you look at schools that are in states that have good high school wrestling and you think they have the best chance to be good. Well, Pitt certainly, certainly geographically fits that criteria. Obviously, they're not the number one choice for most kids coming out of the state of Pennsylvania, but Pennsylvania is so deep and you're close to Ohio there. Even if you're getting the second choice kids, these are still top 100, top 200 recruits in the country. And Penn State can't get everybody, and Ohio State can't get everybody. So, you know, these other schools in that area, if if you know how to recruit and if you can differentiate yourself from those other schools, um, you know, I know for a fact, like when Ben Askren went to Missouri, one of the things that was a selling point to him was you can be the first guy to, to be a multiple-time national champion here. And that's what they sold him on. And he was the guy that had the mentality like, yeah, you're right. I can, I can be great. I can make the Olympic team. I can do all those things here. So they need a coach there that can sell that dream that can approach it differently and say, yeah, yeah, you know, this, this cool down the road's good, but we're going to be great too. And you, you want to be a part of building something or being a part of, of continuing something. And they need the kids that want to be the part of, of building and creating something. It's going to take somebody who, from a leadership point of view, has that vision. Um, so, I mean, there's guys out there that can do that. There's plenty of, you know, assistant coaches and head coaches. I think it's probably going to end up being somebody with that right energy level, though, to make that happen, at least it seems like to me. If it's going to work, that's what's going to make it work. Well, David, is there anything else that you've got an eye on that's interesting coming up on the horizon here? Yeah, I think when you look at the team scores, you look at, like, Lehigh at eighth with 40 points, and, Illinois with 35 at 12th, and even Arizona State at 31 and 13. A lot of these individual matchups can have a big impact on that. So um, it'll be really interesting to see how some of these matches go. Um, you could see some significant movement there. And it'll also be interesting to see if, uh, you know, Ohio State or uh, Oklahoma State can, can work their way back to closing the gap on Penn State. So I think 
all of us as fans, unless you're literally a, a Penn State fan, you, you want to see a really competitive national tournament from a team score point of view. I think the other thing that's interesting to me, just looking at the rankings overall, is nine of the ten guys have stayed in the number one spot all year. That's pretty crazy. It feels like there's been a lot of upsets and things, and there have, but literally hardly any at the top. And the one guy that lost, lost on like a second of riding time. So it's kind of crazy. Um, it's kind of gone according to form so far this year at the very, very top. Yeah, it feels like uh, things are about to get really wild, though. Um, maybe <laughs> not uh, Maybe not yet this month, but uh, certainly in March. Um, there's always some, some crazy stuff that happens in the, in the conference tournament series. And then when we get down to the wire – uh, for the NCAA championships. we got a few more weeks to come of doing this rankings breakdown, but uh, thank you as always, David Mirkatani, for your time and insight. Greatly appreciate it. Thank you, Andy. It's always my pleasure. And that'll do it for this week's edition of the rankings breakdown. You can check out the track wrestling rankings brought to you by fantasygrade.com and the ultimate fantasy wrestling challenge do you know more about wrestling than your friends and people from around the country prove it go to www.fantasygrade.com and enter the live event online event or both you can check out david's rankings on trackwrestling.com they're posted on the site now uh if you are listening to us on the track wrestling portal and you would like to download and listen on the go you can go to the matt talk podcast network on itunes and listen to us there you can also check out david's series the matt chat series with david mirkatani as he mentioned in the show earlier he'll be joined this week by south dakota state assistant john reader so thank you for listening this week check back next week is part of the Matt Talk Podcast Network. For more wrestling podcasts, head over to matttalkonline.com.